It's Monday the 25th of April 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is Derek T. Allen, Chairman of the National Union of Icelandic Students. Welcome to you. Thank you very much. Uh, after a week off over, over Easter, it is somewhat comfortable, perhaps, uh, to be back again with the same lead story. That is the trouble the government is over over the sale of state-owned Eastlandsbonki shares. Though it has got more serious, it's safe to say, as thousands of people protested outside Althingi this weekend, calling for the sale to be reversed and for the finance minister to resign. Racism has also remained top of the agenda. The infrastructure minister's apology was accepted and that storm seems to have largely blown over. But now an escaped convict manhunt uh, led to the same mixed-race teenager being wrongly targeted by police, not once, but twice. His mother, who just happens to be one of Iceland's best-known human rights and immigration lawyers, says the time has come to lift the lid on institutional racism and racial profiling in Iceland once and for all. The Epling storm has also continued, with all staff actually receiving their notice just before Easter and the union actively advertising all their roles in the employment pages of the newspapers. Other unions have criticised the mass layoff and former employees are seeking legal advice. Despite the demand for them to work for at least two of the three months of their notice period, only seven people are reportedly turning up to work at Epling HQ. 500 union members have called for an open meeting, which the board has reportedly agreed to. With Iceland's men's handball team finally secured for the World Championships in, in January, attention has turned to why their playoff match was in Hapnafjörður, because the national sports arena is not legal for international matches. Momentum, momentum sorry, is building for a new national sports facility. Student loan payments are set to increase in time for the autumn, and exchange rate rules liberalised to help students who study overseas. The results of last year's major housing survey are out and reveal that 1,868 people live in industrial buildings, including many with poor fire safety protections. The number is still high, but appears to have nearly halved in five years. And in calendar-related news, Iceland celebrated its five-day-long Easter weekend, followed after two working days by the official first day of summer, public holiday on Thursday. The next public holiday, Labour Day, on the 1st of May, will not be a day off work because it happens to fall on a Sunday this year. Looking forward two weeks from now, and it will be Eurovision week and also local election week. Early voting has already started. Where would you like to begin? Ooh. Well, I mean, since I'm the um, president of the National Union of Icelandic Students, I feel it would be fitting to start with student issues. Agreed. May. This is good news. Oh, for sure. Yes. Um, so to add a little bit more context, a few weeks ago, um, the allocation rules came out and the minimum support that students will be um, given has increased by about 18%. So it will be about 137,000 um, um, Yeah, for students in the fall or we start setting in the fall. Is that per month? Um, so I believe, yes, per month, yes. Okay. Um, for students that are living on their own, and um, as I think, I don't think it's, um, I think we all know that it's expensive to live in Iceland. <laughs> so it's really good that students are getting more money. Granted, 137000 is not a ton of money, um, but it will help. Um, especially since a lot of students are working. Unfortunately, they are overworking more than most students in Europe. So um, there's plenty of things that need to be addressed still, but this is a good start. What's the rationale behind this increase? Because obviously inflation is rampant, but 18% is way above the rate of inflation. So what's gone into this decision? I would love to think it's because of our advocacy. 
Um, Because we've been screaming and we've made our demands loud and clear for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And it's great to finally see some sort of increase. Granted, that number that it went from about 116,000, that was some sort of increase at some point and so on and so forth. But it's great to see this progression because the climate for students is constantly changing um, due to changes in the um, changes in wider society. So it's important to change the loan system intact with um, other changes that I've used the word change a lot, but um, other things that are occurring in society. Who pays for it? Because um, th- this is loans, essentially, isn't it? The students end up paying it back eventually, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, unless they finish at the right time, quote, un- quote unquote, so they get 30% of their loans back. Um, but, yeah. Right time, you mean, like, on schedule? Like Yes. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a good incentive, isn't it? I didn't realise that was part of it. Yeah, it's a pretty recent change as well. Oh, so so many people delay their thesis, for example. Right. And this is an encouragement not to do that. Exactly. Okay. How do you feel about that? I mean, obviously it encourages people to be goal-orientated, but maybe sometimes theses or final projects or something are, are, are delayed through unavoidable reasons or because the research environment is changing quite quickly. Exactly. And especially this happened a lot during COVID because um, people were getting sick physically, mentally and otherwise. And therefore, there was a lot of added stress. So I, I think it's good, but it is still something that, you know, there are, you know, perhaps caveats to this. I think it's important to think about those. But I, of course, we celebrate positive changes and it will take time to see the long-term negative effects, if there are any, hmm. that such system would um, would encourage or... Yes, yes. Thank you. Two questions on that. Um, oh, no, I've forgotten one of them. The other <laughs> it's okay. Um, what's the problem? Why, why does the system care if people extend their time registered at university by several years? Does it, does it matter or...? I mean, I think it's just there. I mean, there are several factors that play into it. I'm just kind of thinking of one off the cuff. It's just kind of they want to have this. I think it just may have to do with like image issues, honestly, for universities, because um, if they see that students are constantly delaying their theses, then it might not be a good look mm-hmm. um, for universities or for departments, for professors and whatnot. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. OK, Um Quickly, before we move on to something else, yeah. what's next? This is a positive step, you say? Yes. What would you like to see change maybe next year, if anything? Yes. Um, we would definitely like to see the uh, maximum income threshold increase um, by quite a lot because Icelandic students are working more than other students in Europe. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in surveys. So, And that overworking has an effect on the studies. So allowing students to earn more money without getting their loans um reduced would be absolutely amazing perfect yeah i mean no i'm not going to go i could have gone into a different tangent there about (laughs) about perhaps why students are working more than other countries and possibly that it's the access they have to education here that more people are able to study i don't know right that could be uh, who knows yeah exactly um right what next there like i said there's plenty to talk about this week yeah um, well, I mean, I've been involved in racial activism, so that's something that speaks to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, from now on, since we're no longer talking about student issues, I'm more so talking from my own personal perspective um, to make that very clear. Yep. 
Um, but the profiling of um, this young boy, it's of course extremely unfortunate. It's something that unfortunately though is not surprising. It's something that a lot of people have seen coming because this has been happening, but there's this big misconception that racism is not not an Icelandic problem. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they look at, you know, say, you know, American society and say, you know, look at how awful things are there. But it only took so long for things to happen, for things to play out the way that they have here. And I think that this will lead, hopefully, but I think this will lead to an awakening of some kind and get people more involved. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the... Can you explain the point a little bit better? Because there are people who are going to be saying that if someone bears a striking resemblance to someone else that the police are looking for, it's kind of fair that they get targeted. Um, so why is that not the case in this? I think it's we need to keep in mind the fact that this individual is a minority, so not very many people look like this boy in Iceland. Mm. Um, so, I mean... It's easy to say, for example, you know, if some if the fugitive was like blonde and blue eyed, then it'd be like, okay, all the blonde haired, blue eyed men or, you know, we're going to profile them. That would be way too many, of course. So they would need to have, you know, maybe height and other things take other factors into account. I also think it's just the fact that it's the history as well. Um, granted, there's not necessarily a long history of Icelandic racism because Iceland, Iceland has been so homogenous for so long. Mm. But it's just right. It's the social connotations and the um, the implications that this has, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Um, the police have been asked for response to this particular instance on, on several occasions, and rightly so. Um, they say they're taking it seriously. Is that the impression you get? I mean, if they took it seriously, they would have responded immediately. So, I mean... I- I understand that they are trying to figure out how to properly address this, mm. but I think that this is something that there needs to be preventative measures in place so that they know how to properly address it the next time it does happen. Um, so like sensitivity training and um, getting people getting people who want to enter the police force to learn about these issues and those who are in the police force, having them learn about these types of issues so that they can be more aware of how to conduct themselves. Now, this, as I say, this one particular case um, was especially unfortunate because it targeted the same boy, 16 years old, I believe, twice. Right. Two days apart. It's it's almost, it would almost be comical if it wasn't so serious. Right. Um, but that's shone a very strong spotlight on it, especially because of who his mother is. So my question is, because she's understandably and quite rightly speaking up about this um how common has this been before and we just haven't heard about it it's definitely happened um especially to a lot of um people of refugee backgrounds um i have never experienced it something this severe definitely not Mm. i have experienced just kind of this you know i've gotten kind of this weird energy from police officers in iceland before um but again nothing to this caliber I do think, though, that the fact that, you know, his mother is a well-known lawyer in Iceland, it's a blessing and a curse because it's good that, of course, she knows the law and she has the um, resources available to help out and do something about this. But I also don't 
want people, um, you know, other people like the police to, you know, to take from this that, okay, if a black person or anyone else who's experiencing racism in Iceland has the privilege of being in this career field, having this amount of money, speaking the language, et cetera, et cetera, then we have to treat them properly. But others, we don't have to treat them right. So it's just, I, I yeah. Is that a genuine risk? Oh, think? absolutely. And I mean, I've seen this just out in society, the way that, you know, people of color who have certain markers are treated better than those who have other markers that are considered lesser, like being of a refugee background or not speaking Icelandic, not having a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And how much does that transgress racial lines in, in your opinion or experience? Like poor people that don't speak Icelandic, they're probably not treated as well anyway. Is it is it considerably worse for, for people of different skin colours, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have anything else to add on the topic or should we move on? Um, I'm sure you've put lots to add. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just Black Lives Matter. Um, it's not a trend. Don't just put a black square on your social media accounts and move on. Just Now, we spoke about this on this very show, you and I, um, yeah. a year or more ago. Yeah. Because you were one of the leading figures in setting up the Black Lives Matter movement in Iceland. Right. Did it help? What has changed? Um... <laughs> Um, I think, I mean, it's helped raise awareness. People are, are more cognizant of these issues, but I do feel that it was largely performative for a lot of people, unfortunately. And we need to work on stamping out the performative activism. Mm-hmm. You could argue perhaps that that's a good starting point. Oh, for sure. I mean, getting people to think about it. And yes, absolutely. Hopefully down the line, they, they then put their money where their mouth is. Exactly. So to speak. Yeah. Exactly. How big of a problem is racism institutionally in Iceland? Do you feel like, when it comes down to it, that, that people of um, diverse backgrounds will be protected by the law and by the police if needed, when needed? Um, it might say something in the law about it, but it's not necessarily um, put into practice, I feel. Um, and we've seen with, like, you know, with hate speech, how you know, hate speech against people of colour is it's brushed under the carpet it's not really addressed so it's something that um in some form or fashion there needs to be some form of action taken um something more proactive Mm. and something that is more concerted yes Mm. and you mentioned before this old outdated attitude that racism isn't really a problem in iceland um now we know that it is. Everybody knows that it is. It's been in the news constantly. Do you think there's a risk that it will polarise people and that that racists, in inverted commas, will become more outspoken and emboldened by this discussion? Oh, for sure. Um, but I think it's important for those that are not racist, or I mean, no one's going to really say like, yeah, I'm racist, but um, the people who, you know, who want things to change for the better, I think it's important that, you know, we come together and that we just we show solidarity and we don't let, you know, those people, you know, the racists, um, quote unquote, mm. take over. Mm. Basically, just treat others as you'd like to be treated yourself. Exactly. It's quite simple. It is quite simple, isn't it? Right. Uh, next topic. <laughs> Probably we should mention the bank thing. 
Yes. Or, or if not the bank specifically, then the protest. Oh, um, yeah. That was quite big. Yes. Did you go? Did you see it? Oh, well, I've been to one and a half of them. One and a half of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a significant movement. It's nothing like perhaps in size the the scale of the ones that toppled the, the government back in uh, 2017 or whatever. Oh, uh, some, when am I thinking? 20, uh, anyway, I, I some think years about ago. the pots and pans. No, 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 no. no. Well, the one since then, the, the Panama Papers right. one. Oh, yeah. Whatever year that was. I wasn't here then. Um, but it's significant. Um, and they're calling for the sale to be reversed. I'm not even sure that's possible, uh, <laughs> especially given how many of the shares have since changed hands after. Exactly. Um, but they're calling for the finance minister to stand down. And that, of course, is very much possible. Right. Um, he probably won't, though, will he? Uh, I I mean, I don't think so. Since, I mean, his party's in the majority. It's... And then, like, the coalition government as well. So he has two other parties backing him in that sense. It's... I mean, strategically, why would he? And, I mean, of course, personally, he probably doesn't want to. Hmm. Um... I just, it would be nice to see some form of accountability, be it him stepping down or being um, kicked out or just going on unpaid leave. But there's just, there's a lack of accountability in Icelandic politics in general. Mm. And that um, needs to be changed because, yeah, this would be, um, you know, a lot of other politicians in his position around the world would just leave because <laughs> this is just a huge black mark. That would be certainly the case if this were a scandal, Bjarni, of course, Bjarni Benediktsson, finance minister and others would contest that it isn't a scandal, right. not a crisis, and that the sale went very well. Uh, I just literally said that. Um, and that it was all fair and above board, though there are lessons to be learned and Icelandic state financial investments or Bankosis Larikisins is going to be, um, what's the word? Later down? <laughs> Cancelled? <laughs> Cancelled, put out, um, stopped. Uh, replaced. Yes. And therefore, these sorts of things won't happen again. Yeah, I doubt. I mean, it's just like, I still don't understand, like, why would you sell part of the bank to your own father? Like, what is really the point of that? Well, he didn't, of course. Let, let's be fair. He yeah. didn't. It's, at least on paper, we don't know what the back scene deals are like, but he claims to have not known you know, not been directly involved in the sale, right. not, not known until afterwards who, who bought what. And yeah. I don't think there's there's reason to disbelieve that. Oh, no, I believe that. But it's just, since you are the finance minister, you need to be aware of, you know, of things like this, um, some way, somehow. And I think that it's just, there needs to be responsibility taken somewhere in the chain. Mm. Yeah, um, the... Body, the Icelandic state financial investments, are supposed to be impartial, and um, it was set up precisely after the banking crisis. It was set up for this situation, basically. Right. And it does seem to have failed in its job. Yes. Um, and will be replaced, but by what? And, and what would be better? I have no clue. <laughs> no, indeed. On the political side. Yes. Because you mentioned the three coalition parties, it does seem that this is perhaps the most difficult for the left Greens. Right. Uh, the party of the Prime Minister, Katrin Jakobsdottir. Because under any normal circumstances, they would be one of the loudest voices criticising 
the sale right. criticising the minister and they can't at the moment. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't for them. Right. And I love this attempt at building bridges um, between the right and the left. I think that is fantastic. I love to see that. I want to see more of that. Um, but it's also just... This is something, especially with Framsoknaflok or the Progressive Party having their scandal with um, the with the infrastructure minister, Sigurd Inki. I think that's important for them to evaluate the left greens, where they stand and if they want to continue supporting these two parties. Yeah, I'm sure that is what everybody within that party is thinking right now. Um the alternative, if they do decide that they don't want to do that, will be or would be a, a new election. And it would very likely probably mean that they wouldn't be in the next government. So it would be a tough trade-off if they went that route. Right. It would be a big one. Sometimes there needs to be big changes. Yeah. And the last government, because obviously this government is basically the same as the last one, and they went on a... a period of stability that was their thing we've had two broken governments in a row we needed stability people were tired of political upheaval and they succeeded with that yes. um, and now barely half a year after the after the election that that doesn't seem to be the case anymore right um and i think i totally understand where they're coming from with the stability standpoint because just it's important that right Sometimes people are just, they're tired of huge changes, even good ones. So it's important to just kind of keep things going if they are good. Mm. And, but I mean, things are not good. And I understand that you don't necessarily, people are not perfect. The government will never be a perfect entity, but it's still something is amiss. And that whatever that is, that needs to be rooted out. Yeah. And they were a crisis government through, um, through COVID and, people, their, their, their level of support held really high, uh, probably because of the crisis. And now it's the economic um, consequences are hitting harder. And maybe that solidarity is is dissipating. And then these external crises that keep hitting like this are certainly not helping. Absolutely not. I mean, selling the state share in Istanbul was one of the government's stated objectives. You know, this is something that they were proud of. They wanted to raise capital. I mean... Whether or not people agree with that is neither here nor there. They wanted to do it, and it could have been done so much better and yeah. without a scandal. Exactly. So. Yes. Um, anything else to add? Not for me. Okay. Thank you. Good. Well, then let's move on because time is rattling on. I think we've got time for another topic. Okay. Um, choose wisely. Ho, ho. Mm-hmm. Epling. Yeah, Epling. Or local elections, basically. Mm. Also sports, if you're into it. I'm not into sports, unfortunately. <laughs> but but are you into sports facilities? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I've never pondered about sports facilities, unfortunately. Makes sense. Yeah. Epling? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the country's second biggest union, the one that arguably has the most... Um, vulnerable members the members of the, the the lower paying jobs and hospitality and blah 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 yes and they are in absolute crisis all of the all of the staff have been laid off um and 
with the aim of rehiring and therefore solving the crisis. Exactly. The objective is quite clear right. and, and understandable, even. Um, the legality or fairness of it, though, is is what is up for question. Yeah. I mean, I understand that it's important to have a staff that is working um, alongside alongside you and working towards the same goals. Um, but I think that even though there might have been some sort of disagreement between the board and between the um, the underlings, uh, I think that it's this could have been handled so much better than sending an email and at the crack of dawn and just laying everybody off at once. Mm. Even though they knew it was coming. Right. Yeah. And it's just, even, even though they knew it was coming, I mean, it's still just, I feel like you just, you talk to people one-on-one -on -one or you say, you know, just you give people an avenue to air their concerns. You don't just make such drastic decisions like that. That have jeopardized a lot of people. I mean, that put a lot of people's lives, um, I mean, at risk in the sense that they, you know, they're out of work and they won't be able maybe to pay their rent and whatnot. So I think this was definitely mishandled. Um, I'm trying to be very generous to both sides here because I, you know, I, I I don't know what goes on with an Epling. So, mm. you know, but. Uh, the, the rationale behind it um, was that this. Board, this, the chairman, Solveig Anna Jonsdottir, and her board wanted to implement strong changes and, and become the most powerful and dynamic union in Iceland. And they met a lot of resistance from within the office team, mm -hmm. a lot of people that have been there for decades that had arguably perhaps too much power, too much wages even, yeah, um, and who refused to budge on crucial issues. And then she resigned over it and then was re-elected by the members of the union, she says, on a promise to do exactly what has now happened, which is to clear, clear the floor, start from a clean slate, and, and actually carry out these promises. Um, the criticism of that has come from basically behaving just like the big employers that the union defends against in, in, in doing exactly that. Oh, you guys are a big problem, we'll just get rid of you. Yeah. And unions don't like that behavior usually. No, and I definitely detected the irony of that um, immediately when the story broke. Um, but yeah, again, like I said, I think it's important to have conversations. I understand that some people might have been very adamant about things being a certain way. But this is when we try and meet at some sort of compromise, some sort of middle ground, if that is possible. And, you know, not just lay off, lay everybody off at the same time and mm. just... And I can imagine that puts a lot of undue pressure onto the board, especially other board members that are not Solveig, um, because I'm sure that they're getting a lot of criticism as well, even though this might necessarily might not necessarily have been, you know, something that they supported or, you know, whatever, what have you. So, mm. again, just this situation could have been handled so, so much better. It's really sad to see um, this union, which is so powerful already, be in shambles like this. It's also damaging, probably, to the whole trade union movement in Iceland to see other unions having to or feeling compelled to stand in and say, yeah, we criticise this, we, we do not agree. Yeah, extremely, yes. And on behalf of some of their own members who worked for Epling mm -hmm. as a job. It's very complicated and it's probably not ideal for, for what's coming up in the autumn, which is the, the latest round of collective bargaining negotiations. Right. Uh, arguably, big employers are rubbing their hands with glee 
saying, oh, they're, they're, they're distracted. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I am interested in seeing the implications that um, this decision will have. And especially Sunday is Labor Day. Um, so it would be, I don't know what, if Epping's going to be, you know, out there protesting, if Epping's going to say something or what they're going to do. Mm. But I I am, I'm hoping that things turn up from here. Mm. Because, that, I mean, I imagine Solve Anna will definitely be there. She's she's led a lot of these um, rallies on the 1st of May in, right. in previous years. Been very focal. Yeah, I just, I'm curious to see how she'll be received this time. Um, and yeah, if people will, you know, I don't know, taunt her or, you know, something like that. But again, I just, I hope that things improve and I hope that the people who have been laid off and who have found themselves at the crossfires of this can pick up the pieces. Yeah. And of course there was the, the fig leaf, if you will, in, in the email saying, uh, we are laying you off along with everybody else, but please do apply again. <laughs> I think most people are not planning to apply again, yeah. but, but they're welcome to. That was so passive-aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And on that passive-aggressive note, the week in Iceland has run out of time. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back with you next week on Monday the 2nd of May on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook through the Roof app and your preferred podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Derek Allen. Thank you. Thank you. And also Lydia Gretestotit for running the studio. We finished today's programme with a happy birthday to the wonderful band Valdemar, who this weekend managed to hold their grand 10th anniversary concert at Harpa, only two years late. So happy 12th birthday to you guys. Um, I had fun, but a major headache this morning choosing a song, but I eventually settled on this one. It's called Je Vilti a Thuvisit, purely because it's one that not everybody may be all that familiar with. Enjoy. Bye for now. In Ég festi fót á bremsunni Og búin að læsa höfðinni Gefðu mér frið, orð Og ráleggingar duga skamt En gefstu ekki upp á mér strax Stöldrum við Ég vild að þú vissi Skuggin á ekki að falla á þig Þetta er vandi sem er minn Ég vild að þú vissi Skuggin á ekki að falla á þig Þetta er vandi sem er minn
Allt är i lag 